Well, good morning to all of you. Um, I am going to be sharing this morning on kindness, if you all remember, which it's been a while since I uh, preached last. Um, We're working through the fruit of the Spirit, but doing it backwards. So um, last time I um, spoke on goodness, and we're going to speak on kindness this morning. I'm not a... Wendy asked for a title, and I'm not a very good title writer. Um, and so I said, kindness, first cousin of goodness, because it seems like they're similar in many respects. So if you would say, you know, can you be good without being kind? I, I don't know that that's possible. You could try it next week and let me know how it goes. But I think you will find that if you do one, you're going to have to do a little bit of the other one. Um, so Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the Greek word here is Christotes. Um, and I'm assuming that's a per- um, correct pronunciation of that. My Greek is not the best. But um, we could say that kindness is love in action. It is the act of um, doing things for the welfare of other people who tax our patients. And maybe you are blessed and you have no one who ever taxes your patients. Um, I, I have some small people that sometimes tax my patients, and I need to learn kindness. Um, and maybe some other words that would go along with this would be compassion and sympathy. So there is a difference between goodness and kindness, and goodness is acting righteously in every situation, Um, and this um, probably is going to include kindness, and it's going to grow out of a character that is morally upright, Um, whereas kindness is extending generosity to the people who cannot pay us back. And I think of um, Dorcas, and I'm not going to turn to that in Acts Um, You remember that Dorcas died, and everybody was really upset because she had just given them so many things. Um, And that seems like a bad reason to perform a resurrection. But um, anyway, as we know, she got to um, continue serving other people when she got brought back. Uh, The people in her church saw her as someone who was kind. Um, And being kind could fall under the category of being good, but it's more specific. Um, And I also think that kindness has to do with attitudes. Um, So often we do things that are right, but we have the wrong attitude. And maybe that's missing some of the point, too. Um, So the same word is used to talk about God's interactions with us. Um, Romans 11, 22 through 24 says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So Paul's talking about Gentiles, right? And the fact that Gentiles do not belong, that whenever God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless your descendants. And if you are not a descendant of Abraham, you are left out. You are not part of that, okay? And out of the whole world, this is the family that he chose. And now people could enter in, um, but it was difficult, and they had to basically get grafted in, as he said. So you can imagine you take um, 
you take a, a wild um, grape um, vine in that you know has these tiny berries that only the birds like to eat, and um, and you graft it onto a nice stock, and you say, oh ho ho, look what I've got. Um, but that's what God did, and it shows His kindness towards us when He really should have been severe towards us. He saw something that was, I don't know, what it didn't have potential from our human vision, and yet He still took us and made something that was worthwhile. We deserve judgment, but God offers us something else. And here, Paul is specifically thinking of the opening of the gospel to the Gentile peoples, but we can think of many other ways in which God showed his love and his kindness towards us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 um, says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no one may boast." And we see different words here for the similar concept, don't we? Grace, a gift that we did not earn. Kindness, God's generosity towards us. And the fact that God's kindness does not just hit us today, but also through eternity, if we accept the gift that he has for us. Salvation begins at the day of our acceptance of, of Jesus, but it continues on beyond this life. And that's a blessing, isn't it? We understand how great a gift that is for us. Grace is unearned. And I think there's a big tendency to think that we have to at least partially earn God's blessings in our lives. Um, you know, we eat healthy, we go to church on Sunday, and sometimes on Wednesday evenings. Um, maybe God needs to extend us grace, but, but maybe not quite so much as as somebody out there who doesn't do all those things. Um, but that's not the message of this, isn't it? The message is we need grace. We need all of it. But God is faithful and God is kind. And he expects us to be the same way. It seems really clear that God expects us to extend to other people the same grace that he extended to us. Um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. This is a, a longer passage here, and it's... Um, no, a pretty familiar one. Um, but this is a story of Peter asking about forgiveness and Jesus telling a story about a man who is forgiven a lot. So Matthew 18, verse 21, and we'll read to verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And you can think, you know, seven times. That's, uh, I know, when you were growing up, forgiving your brother seven times is a lot of times, okay? You know, it's, it's hard to forgive your brother. It's easier to forgive other people that maybe you have a little more distance from. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some versions would say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So this servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And, And we see this mirror, don't we? This is exactly the same situation, but on a much smaller scale. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had been taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And I think Jesus is telling us a couple of things in this story. First of all, is that we do not earn grace. This servant could not pay back this debt. It was beyond his capability. You can imagine if you owned $5 million and every week you sent off a check for $150. How long would it take you to pay off that debt? How long would it pay you off if would it take to pay it off if you had interest accruing on it that was more than $150? You would never pay it off. You know, Charles Dickens' um, father was um, someone who ended up in prison because he owed debts that he couldn't pay. And eventually a, a slightly wealthier relative died and left him some money and he was able to pay it off. But you know, if you read Charles Dickens' stories, you can understand the reason why he, he portrays some of the things he, he does. He was in the poorhouse. He was somebody whose father was in prison, unable to work to pay back something that he owed. But that's the message of grace. Someone gives us that gift. But the second message is that accepting grace takes with it a single responsibility to extend that same grace to other people. We see them. We see their needs. We see how they owe us and how they've hurt us, and we say, I will extend what I have received. There's nothing else that we can do to demonstrate that we understand the gift that God has for us and has given to us. Kindness is more than forgiveness. Ephesians 4.31 and 32 tells us that kindness is commanded. So we've got the verse up there, um, and I'm going to touch on this a couple times, but it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Um, And it seems like this starts with us cleansing certain things out of our heart, doesn't it? If we have bitterness... If we have malice, if we have anger, we are not going to be able to be truly kind, at least not from the heart. Um, And so, first of all, it it involves, you know, washing the windows of our heart 
letting that light come in. And then we can put things like um, forgiveness and tenderheartedness and kindness in there. And I think sometimes unkindness comes out of things like jealousy, doesn't it? You know, you're, you know particularly in school, you, th- you look back and you think about um, people who were um, unkind to others. Often it's because a little, there's a little jealousy there. They, they see something that they're afraid might be taken from them, um, a position in the class or something else. Um, and I remember when I was in school, I was a lot younger than the other um, students in my class. Um, my mother decided to advance me. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not the shortest person in the world, but when you're three years younger than all your classmates, you are much shorter than them, even if you're tall. Um, and I wasn't tall. And I wasn't athletic either. And so people tended to pick on me. But I remember the people that were kind to me, who looked at me and saw somebody who was a person too, even if he was younger. I'd like to think a little bit about Joseph. Um, You know, if there's one person in the Old Testament who exemplifies kindness, it was Joseph. And we could say that he had a really hard life until he was about 40 years old. Um, Maybe not all of it was hard because, you know, he did have that special coat. And, um, um, but his mother died when he was very young. So we know that um, she died in childbirth, having his brother Benjamin. Um, and that while his father did show favor to- favoritism towards him, his brothers took that um, and um, did not respond very nicely. And so they were kind of mean to him. I think when Joseph was young, he had much older brothers and they picked on him a lot. And we don't, we don't see that particularly, but I'm sure they, they hit him when he would walk by or they would say kind of snide things about him. Um, and we see that later on, you know, they, as adults, they hadn't grown out of that. They still had that. Um, you know, there's that special boy walking by there and he's, you know. Of course, they didn't say it in English, but. Um, so he had dreams from God that were misunderstood. Even his father didn't understand his dreams, these visions that were given to him. And then, of course, he was sold as a slave into Egypt. Um, he rose in Potiphar's house, which was not what he thought was his, his purpose. But even then, things conspired against him. And, and Potiphar's wife accused him of something falsely, and he ended up in jail. Then he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker correctly. And he thought, sure, he's going to get out of jail. And no, they, he gets forgotten again. Um, and finally, when he's 40 years old, so, you know, how many of you all think 40 is old? This is a trick question. Paul thinks it's old. I tell you what, 47 is old. So anyway, so at 40 years old, his life begins. He is second in command to, to Pharaoh. And later on, in the midst of a terrible drought, he meets his brothers. Only now he is powerful. Now he can pick on them. Now he can show them a little bit of the unkindness that they showed to him. And we know how this comes out. So in Genesis it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. 
So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For this famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you that sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord to all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This was the biggest nation on earth at that time, one of the most powerful things. And Joseph had the power to do whatever he wanted to his brothers. Uh, Instead, Joseph chose to forgive. And this doesn't seem like an Old Testament concept, does it? You know, we think of justice in the Old Testament. We think of God judging people harshly who had sinned. This was not Joseph telling his brothers that they were good or that what he, they had done was for his benefit or for anybody else's benefit. It was Joseph clearly identifying that God had a purpose in what had happened to him and that he had ended up in Egypt for a reason. And I think this is really hard for us because many times when something bad happens, we don't see the why of it. Um, and he did understand that God worked through bad circumstances. And I'm sure at the place he was at, it was a lot easier to forgive than if they had come on him when he was in jail. All things work together for good is a promise, but it, is not, um, but it does not say that we're going to make millions of dollars at the end of an experience or... Um, become ruler of a country. Of course, that's not the case. Um, But rather, it says that God's name will be glorified and we will become more Christ-like through any experience that we have. Most of all, Joseph was willing to be God's love in every situation. He said, God sent me before you as though he was some kind of an advanced messenger for his brothers. I am here to prepare the way for you. And Joseph did love his brothers, even though they didn't love him back. And we're going to find out that they actually were afraid of him. He had an understanding of grace that his brothers should have had. Jumping forward, Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. This is after Jacob has died. And we find out how Joseph's brothers had felt the last several years. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they're thinking the only reason why Joseph is nice to us is because our dad is still alive. Now that he's gone, Joseph is going to carry out all those evil plans he had for us all along. He's He's just been waiting till Jacob passed. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about, many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
And we see that even though Joseph had the power to do something, he had truly forgiven his brothers, hadn't he? But the brothers suffered because they did not understand grace. They did not understand what it meant to truly forgive. And I don't understand how Joseph could have, could have gone through what he went through and still been able to, to forgive his brothers. But he had. And it hurt him whenever he understood that his brothers didn't understand the depth of that forgiveness. It caused great sadness for them, and it caused sadness for Joseph, too. Forgiveness meant more than forgetting the past. It was a commitment to loving his brothers going forward. And Joseph could still see that there was a greater purpose in what had happened, and he affirmed that he would show kindness to his brothers and their families. Forgiveness for Joseph did not just mean a tense distancing himself from his brothers. It meant seeing what they needed and providing for that. So what does kindness look like? And this, it's hard, to, it's hard to separate out all the different things that go into kindness. I think we know when we see kindness and we know when we see people who aren't kind. And, uh, but I think it begins with compassion. Matthew 9, 35 and 36, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And compassion begins with seeing, doesn't it? It's, it begins with seeing the needs of the people around us. There was a missionary doctor by the name of Ida Scudder. And Ida Scudder came from a line of uh, missionaries to India. Um, and she hated India when she was a child. She didn't like it at all. It was hot. It was muggy. Um, there were all kinds of reasons why she, in her heart, did not want to spend the rest of her life in India. And so at a certain age, she got sent back to the United States. And she lived with a family in Nebraska. She loved that. She went to school. Um, and then when she was in her teens, she got a message from her father your mother is very sick. You need to come to India and care for her. And this was not what she wanted to do. She, um, she was at boarding school. She, had, um, she was a Christian girl, but she did not want to go back to India. She did not have good memories of it. And so she went back to India to care for her mother. And all the while she was there, she was planning how she was, once she came of age, going to go back to the United States. She was going to get married. She was going to do all the things that she wanted to do. And one night, she was writing letters to people back in the States that were her friends. And there came a knock on the door. And there was a man outside. And the man said to her, I have heard there is a lady doctor here who can come and help my wife. She's having a hard time with her, with her baby coming. And Ida said, no, there's, there's not a lady doctor here, but my father is a doctor. I will get him. And so she went and got her father, and he came to the door and um, talked to the man. The man said, oh, you are a man. You cannot come and care for my, my wife. She is in labor. But there is a lady doctor. Cannot your daughter come and help? And Ida didn't know anything about medicine. She was a teenager. 
said, no, no. He went away. A little bit later on the night, the same thing happened. Another man came saying that he had heard that there was a lady doctor there. His wife was in desperate situation. She needed a lady doctor to come and help. Once again, her father came and talked to him. No, he would not have a man come and assist his wife in her labor. A third time that night, same thing happened. Man came and knocked at the door looking for a woman doctor to help his wife in labor. Once again, he went away heartbroken because he would not have a man come and help his wife. The next morning, all three of those women were dead. And Ida talked to her father, and he said, In India, when there is something you are not able to do, you just have to forget it, because otherwise it would be too heartbreaking. And somehow this spoke to Ida, and it changed her heart. She saw the need. She saw that there was needed a woman doctor to serve in Valur, India. And this was the first step in her making a decision, a decision to go to medical school, a decision to return to India and to invest herself in a people that needed what she could offer. It was something her father couldn't offer. Her father was a missionary doctor. He was doing what he could. But when we look with the vision of our heart, we see the needs of other people. We see things that we can provide that maybe others can't. The verse that is shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. What does it say? Jesus wept. And it's a verse that speaks to me of compassion. Jesus knew that he was going to heal Lazarus. He was going to raise him from the dead. And yet he saw the desperate need of the people there. He was not angry with the people because of their ignorance or their poverty or their sickness. Even if there were things that they could be doing better. But it made him sad that they didn't understand the power of the person standing before him. And he took part in their sorrow. And I'm afraid that many times we don't have a vision of the people who have needs around us. Um, I remember visiting my uncle when I was a child, and um, he lived in a condominium in, in Philadelphia, and we would walk outside of, of um, walk down, um, Oh, you take the elevator down. But anyway, you take the elevator down, you walk around the corner to a little restaurant, and there on the grate outside of his building were homeless people, the cover over top of them. And, and I don't think my uncle really saw them. Sometimes he would talk to them a little bit or things like that. He was never mean to them. But, you know, to me, I, I just had never, like, you know, if I walked outside my house and there was like a really cold person lying there in the um, in the flower bed, I would... I would, you know, wonder what was going on and try to do something. And I don't know what the right thing is to do in all these situations. We don't have the ability to fix every situation for everybody around us. But I do know it starts with seeing, with seeing the needs, and then thinking, how can I be Jesus in this situation? I know for certain that if we do not see the needs of the people around us, we will never take the next step.
and reaching out to meet those needs. So kindness involves compassion and seeing. It also involves planning. Proverbs 16, 2 and 3 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Going on with the story of Ida Scudder, you know, she came back to the United States, and she put herself into her studies, and she entered medical school. This was an unusual time for women to go to medical school. Um, This was um, the late 1890s, and... um, A lot of medical school classes were actually closed to women, but she found one that was open. And a little bit later on, about halfway through her medical school um, training, the um, medical school at Cornell, which is a very um, um, high-end medical school, opened its class to women. And so she transferred there um, specifically because she wanted to get the training she needed to provide care for, um, for people in India. But before going back to India, she had to raise $8,000 for a hospital there. She knew that she wanted to have this. Um, And so she went around to different churches, different mission groups, trying to raise support. And she was just not able to do it. Nobody had money. They all had other missions they were supporting. And this Ida Scudder, you know, who was she? And she was just a medical student. And I guess she probably just didn't seem that important. So anyway, so one day she went to this... um, um, to this lady um, who had a little mission society, and, and she spoke there, and um, the ladies listened, and they didn't really give any money, and she was way behind on what she needed. She was going to be leaving for India, and she didn't have the $8,000 she needs. $8,000 doesn't sound like a lot of money, does it, to build a hospital, but I guess back in the 1890s, it was a decent amount, particularly in India. But while she was speaking, this lady who had this... Um, this um, missionary society in our house, her brother-in-law heard heard Ida speaking, and he came to her, and he said, I would like to give you the money that you need to start this hospital. And not only that, but I will go with you in New York, and I will help you pick out all the different medical um, devices and things like that, exam tables, beds, whatever you need, we will find the instruments that you need and we will purchase them. And it just knocked her over because she did not expect this. Um, she'd been praying about this, but I don't think she expected her needs to be met in this kind of a way. But if we begin works of kindness, God will supply the needs that we have as we need them. I think many times we think of kindness as something that happens by chance. We see someone at church who is new and we talk to them or have them over to eat. And that's, those are good things too, aren't they? But we can do more things if we plan. If we have a budget that allows us to minister to people. If we think about ways in which we can dedicate time to meet other people's needs. The third thing then is that we need to put our plan into action. Ephesians 4.32, again, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It is more important to act than to plan. But, I mean, I say that um, if you start building your house and you have not planned it all, you're going to run into trouble, right? And so over time, Ida Scudder raised many 
thousands of dollars for her work in India, but she also invested herself in it. Um, just reading about her ministry in India makes me tired. Um, in her first two years in India, she saw over 5,000 patients, and, and I just cannot imagine that. Um, I, you know, um, she started a medical school. Initially, it was a medical school for women, and eventually they opened up to, to men as well. Um, you all heard of Dr. Paul Brand. He went and worked at the medical, um, at the medical college that she had started, um, and specifically was working with leprosy um, patients there. Um, and she remained in India until her death at 89, serving in whatever ways she could. Um, she performed thousands of surgeries and ministered to the needs of many. Um, and she also took care of many orphans as well. David and Mephibosheth, we're not going to read that story, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, um, and we read this story, and we understand that David had good memories of Jonathan, right? Um, and what would modern politicians do in this kind of scenario? Well, they'd probably build a statue of Jonathan, you know, um, holding some arrows or something, and memory of, of the wonderful things. Um, but David saw something more important. He saw a need to minister to any of Jonathan's descendants that were still around. And so he found this lame boy, uh, Mephibosheth, that he could minister to. And this could be dangerous, right? Um, because Mephibosheth was a descendant of Saul, a previous king of Israel. And so any of his children, I, I don't know that a lame person could become king, but any of his children could eventually be, become a contestant to the throne. But David continued to show um, compassion to them. I think one last thing that I would mention is that good intentions are not enough. You know, sometimes we say things, um, I, I'm, I'm prone to this, uh, that we think are funny. And then we realize, you know, what I said was not kind. That person didn't feel good because of the way that I said that. And it is important in that moment, or as soon as we realize that, to say, I'm sorry. I meant that to be funny, but it wasn't. It was unkind. And people will hear our heart in that moment. They will understand. And it will help with all the offenses that just are prone to human interactions. So I'd like to touch on a few reasons why we might not be kind. And, um, you know, maybe these are just kind of the flip side of some of the things we've talked about already. Um, so we'll just run down through these. Reasons we might not be kind. First of all, maybe we don't see the need. Vision is important. We talked about that. Um, myopia is nearsightedness. It's not being able to see out the door, not being able to see things that are far away. And I think our human tendency is to focus on the needs that are closest to us. And maybe we can sort of see a little bit beyond but if we pray, God will give us the spiritual glasses that we need to see farther. He will give us opportunities. Maybe we don't have the time. We're busy people. And at the end of every day, we have filled up 24 hours, guaranteed. At the end of each week, we filled up seven days. The question is, what have we filled it up with? And we need to understand that taking the time to bear the fruit of kindness is more important than maybe some of the other things that are in our schedules. Third thing is we interpret the need as needing to be met by somebody else. 
my children are very good at telling me which of the other children should be doing a particular job. Um, but I think adults do this too. We think, you know, that's the responsibility of sister so-and-so or you know, brother so-and-so should really be stepping in to do that. But it's more important that we show kindness than that we leave somebody else's blessing for them to, to work on. Maybe we're afraid that our actions will be misinterpreted. Um, we're afraid that people will think that we're just aiming for glory. And I hope not. But there will be times when we act with kindness and the person we're sharing with will see us in the wrong way. And we just need to pray then. You know, God... I did this with the right intentions, and it didn't come across that way. Just still make this a benefit to that person. Maybe we see the person is not worthy of kindness. They are in trouble because of their own actions, and that's just their own problem. And, you know, that's their deal. Um, and maybe when we look at the story of Joseph... We can see somebody who, although his brothers weren't worthy, he was still willing to bless them. Maybe we don't feel adequate to the need. You know, I, I think of Jesus seeing the multitudes and seeing all their needs. Um, and yes, he was the son of God. Yes, he was somebody who had all power. But he also had a physical body. He got tired. He needed rest. And he still did what he could. Maybe a final thing is that we feel the need to speak truth. Um, and I think these days people put a lot of value on, on speaking truth to authority, the gift of prophecy. And Ephesians 4.15 um, says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And I think we put an emphasis on speaking the truth. But maybe we need to put the emphasis on speaking in love. Even the prophets in the Old Testament who were saying some very harsh things, their goal always was to bring restoration. It was to bring reconciliation. We think of Jesus and throwing over the money changers and yelling at the Pharisees, and yet he looked over Jerusalem and he cried, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks. He wanted people to hear his message and accept it. In the same way, when I have people come into my office, if I yell at them every time they come in because they're not doing what they're supposed to, I may feel better at the end of the visit. But you know what will happen? A lot of times, those people will not come back. They will just tune me out. And that doesn't mean that I can't say things that are harsh sometimes. I, sometimes I have to. But the goal must always be to see people accept the truth and move forward. Wherever you're at today is your new beginning. So in conclusion, in many ways, the three fruit of the Spirit, um, love, joy, I'm sorry, love, kindness, and goodness are all very similar to each other. They're getting at different aspects of the same thing. 
Um, but perhaps this just says how important that is. Kindness begins with seeing the needs of the world around us and then figuring out ways in which we can help. We may not be able to meet those needs completely. We're certainly not going to be able to raise millions of dollars or start a medical school in India, but we can still make a difference one kind deed at a time.